Heavenly Father, thank You for this day and thank You for all the many blessings we have. Thank You for this country that we have where we can come and worship freely and not have to worry about any sort of oppression from... um, uh, from the government onto us as far as our religious beliefs or our relig- religious views and our worship of you. And thank you for this government. And we know that uh, governments are put in place by you in, in order to do good for us rather than evil. Um, thank you for all those in this room that are going to speak tonight. Thank you for our men who have served and are serving. Um, keep them safe and, and keep us safe. Um, be with our song leaders too because that takes courage as well. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to read an article that I received a few years ago. It made me have tears come in my eyes when I read this. I keep it pinned on my radio room and every once in a while when I go down there, I look up to this article. Here I go and reading the article. I watched the flag pass by one day. It fluttered in the breeze. A young Marine saluted it, and then he stood at ease. I looked at him in uniform, so young, so tall, so proud, with hair cut square and eyes alert. He'd stand out in any crowd. I told how many men like him had fallen through the years, how many died on foreign soil, how many mothers' tears How many pilots' planes shot down? How many died at sea? How many foxholes were soldiers' graves? No, freedom is not free. It's a task. I heard the sound of taps one night when everything was still. I listened to the bugler play and felt a sudden chill. I wondered just how many times that taps has meant amen of a brother or a friend. I thought of all the children, of the mothers and the wives, of fathers, sons and husbands. I thought about a graveyard at the bottom of the sea, of unmarked graves in Arlington. No, freedom is not free. Say a few words about our freedom. And as I said, freedom is not free. It comes at a task. I want to tell you about my experience with freedom. 1942, December of 1942. I was a student at... uh, uh, University of Tennessee at Martin. It was a junior college at that time. I had the pleasure of going out that night in a little small town of Martin, a small restaurant. The first thing that I ordered was fried oysters. I'd never eaten any fried oysters in my life. Being an old country boy, I'd eaten everything else besides fried oysters. But one 
I was eating the oysters. The radio was playing. And the radio broke silence and said, came in loud and clear, the Empire of Japan has bombed Pearl Harbor, our country. It infuriated me terribly. The next day or two, guess what I did? I went to the Marine Corps recruiting office and volunteered for the Marine Corps. I said volunteered, I wasn't drafted. I volunteered to serve my country and was glad I could be able to do it. When I was on uh, the Canal, which I eventually ended up on August the 7th of 1942, the 1st Marine Division hit Guadalcanal. It was a two-pronged effect. One part of the division landed on Tulagi, which was another island about 100 miles from Guadalcanal. The other one hit Guadalcanal. First time I'd ever heard of it in my life. I didn't know about it, didn't know what the country was, the island was, until I hit the beach. Hitting the beach was something else. Many, many little battles happened on Guadalcanal in the 1st Marine Division. The Japanese <clears throat> had invaded this little island, Guadalcanal, without any opposition. And built the airfield, or just about had it built when we landed on the beach. Soon after a few battles on Guadalcanal, we took over the airfield that the Japanese had built. We even used some of their equipment that they had used to repair and redo the airfield. Went on along on several battles, and I won't mention all of them, there's many of them. And I say it out, out said, and Guadalcanal was known then as the beginning and the end of the Japanese Empire. It took many, many, many battles. There's a lot of battles fought from Guadalcanal to Iwo Jima and Okinawa, and they were terrible battles. But we succeeded. And uh, after, after Okinawa campaign, we successful, successful ended the Battle of Okinawa. Then when we ended the Battle of Okinawa, we began to prepare for the next phase, next battle, and that was the Japanese Empire. We knew it was going to be a, a difficult battle. In fact, the military people said We'd lose over a million people if we invaded Japan proper, Tokyo. But 
unfortunately, uh, after the battle was won, as I said, we started training for the next battle. In that battle, after that battle, we dropped the atomic bomb on Tokyo. And he knocked uh, them on Tokyo and Nagasaki. The one Tokyo, excuse me, one Tokyo, it was uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki. We waited a few weeks thinking maybe, maybe the Japanese would have uh, had enough. After a few weeks, the emperor, after the atomic bomb was dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. He told the people that he'd had enough and he was going to surrender to the United States. And that brought many, many uh, people crying, knowing that there would be no more empire of Japan. I'd like to go back a few minutes. And by the way, I've got students in the audience, and I, I can hear you say right now, oh me, chief, he never does hush when he gets to talking. But I can assure you, it, it won't be long. But anyway, as we hit the beach uh, in August of 742, the Japanese had scout planes flying over the canal on the island of Guadalcanal. They got word of our landing at Guadalcanal. And they sent bombers down to Guadalcanal. And Admiral Fletcher, he was the naval officer that brought us up to the beach. When he heard about it, he told our general, Alexander Vandereff, says, we're going to leave you. We're going to leave you. The general said, no, you can't do that. He says, I am. I'm leaving. We had very much we hadn't unloaded any food hardly whatsoever. Not much ammunition. Not much uh, artillery. In fact, there's not much of anything. For two months on Guadalcanal, it was starvation. We didn't have any food. A few chocolate bars is all we had. Had a few coconuts. But that was all we had to eat. In fact, the minutes when we left Guadalcanal to get on ship to leave, so many of the Marines were so weak they had to be helped aboard the ship. They were so weak. Another thing I want to say is about one of the special battles but I was the Battle of Bloody Ridge, 
world, worldwide known as one of the chief battles of World War II. Japanese <clears throat> tried once, tried twice, tried three times to annihilate us on Guadalcanal. Our commanding officer on Guadalcanal was by the name of Ed Mike Edson. He told us we're going to retreat 200 yards, set up our defense. When the, we did that, the Japanese that third time, that they tried to annihilate us, we pushed them back for the last time. Yeah, I remember a, a, a Japanese lieutenant. He came forward with a bayonet in his hand. General Vandegrift was there admonishing and, and telling the troops how much he appreciated how he resisted the opposition. That, that Japanese lieutenant didn't get very far because one of the gunnery sergeants, in my rank, I, I was a gunnery sergeant, he pulled out his pistol and he annihilated that Japanese lieutenant. I thought that might, uh, that might be interesting to you. But that's, I, I, I'm not going to say much. I'm not going to tell any more war stories. You're bored now. I know you'll be bored later on. I appreciate you letting me tell you about my freedom that I enjoyed. Thank you. While y'all are standing, let's stay standing for this next song. 1009, Battle Hymn of the Republic. When Barry asked me to speak, uh, I went up to him to the office to get my topic, and he asked me to speak about independence from sin. Now outside, I'm like, oh yeah, I can do that. But inside, I'm like, no, you have got the wrong person, because I am absolutely horrible at this. So, what am I supposed to get up and say? Am I supposed to be like, hey guys, hope you had a great Independence Day. Now, if you want to be like Jesus, don't be like me. I mean, that wouldn't really work, right? So I'm not going to get up here and tell you that if you sin more than once a week, you're going to hell. Neither am I going to tell you that you can do whatever you want. In fact, I really don't want to tell you anything in between. Partly because I'm not wise enough to make that decision. So what I want to look at is how the blood of Jesus changes the way that we interact with sin. How God looks at us and how we look at ourselves. We don't have time to read all the books of the Old Testament that are about the law, but if we did, we would see an ever-expanding list of sins. But even more than the sins, we would see these long instructions about what to do when you did sin. 
And by the way, just to become a priest so that you can carry out these instructions was a whole other list of instructions, very tedious ordination ceremonies, and if you did it wrong, you would probably die. So, not a very good deal. But then if you look further, you realize, oh great, there is this total list of sins that if you do, you just die. There's nothing you can do about it. You can't be like, well, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that. Please forgive me. No, if you, if you do them, you're going to get stoned to death. But even in the Old Testament, before the death of Jesus, we see these little glimpses of God's grace. In 2 Samuel 11, David's men have gone to war. But David has stayed behind. And so he's walking around on the roof and, he's, roof and he sees this woman. And he, so he inquires, hey, who is this woman? And they tell him it's Bathsheba. So he ends up committing adultery with her. And by the Old Testament law, adultery is a sin worthy of death. Not looking good for David, is it? But he doesn't stop there. He decides, well, okay, I'm going to bring Uriah back to cover it up. Once she tells him that she's pregnant, mind you. So he gets Uriah back, but, well, that didn't work because, guess what? Uriah just sleeps at the gates because he's a man of integrity. And I'm, he's like, I'm not going to be sleeping in my bed while all these guys in the very Ark of the Covenant itself is out in this field of battle. So David's like, okay, yeah, I'm going to get him drunk. That'll do it. Nope. Still did not work. So finally, David, in desperation, sends a note with Uriah, mind you, to the commander. Okay, so put Uriah in this dangerous spot in the battle and then pull back your troops so that Uriah dies. That's like basically murder. So now not only is he an adulterer, he's a murderer. I mean, this guy definitely deserves to die. I mean, even in our justice system, wouldn't we consider this some form of plotted murder? It's crazy, right? But then, in 2 Samuel 12, 13, and 14, the Bible says, David responded to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Then Nathan replied to David, The Lord has taken away your sin. You will not die. However, because you treated the Lord with such contempt in this matter, the son born to you will die. So David was forgiven of his sin. He didn't die. Granted, someone still had to die. But David was forgiven and freed of his sins. But now, something infinitely more amazing has happened. The Son of God Himself has came down to earth, lived a sinless life, and died for our sins. Turn with me, if you will, to the book of Romans. I'm going to read like all of chapter 6. I would read the whole book, but I don't think anybody would appreciate that. What should we say? Should we continue in sin in order that grace may multiply? Absolutely not. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Or are you unaware that all of us who were baptized in the Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? Therefore, we were buried with Him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in a new way of life. 
For if we have been joined with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that sin's dominion over the body may be abolished, so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin. Since a person who has died is free from sin's claims, is freed from sin's claims. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Because we know that Christ, having been raised from the dead, no longer dies, death no longer rules over him. For in that he died, he died to sin once for all, but in that he lives, he lives to God. So you too consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you obey its desires. And do not offer any parts of it to sin as weapons for unrighteousness. But as those who are alive from the dead, offer yourselves to God, and all the parts of yourselves to God as weapons for righteousness. For sin will not rule over you, because you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Should we sin in order that grace may mold? Should we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? Absolutely not. Do you not know that if you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of that one you obey, either of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? But thank God that although you used to be slaves of God, you obeyed from the heart that pattern of teaching you were entrusted to. And having been liberated from sin, you became enslaved to righteousness. I am using a human analogy because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you offer the parts of yourselves as slaves to moral impurity and to greater and greater lawlessness, so now offer them as slaves to righteousness, which results, which results from sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free from allegiance to righteousness. But what fruit was produced from the things you are now ashamed of? For the end of those things is death. But now... Since you have been liberated from sin and became enslaved to God, you have your fruit, which results in sanctification, and in the end is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. So Paul tells us that because of the blood of Christ, we are now free from sin. And with that freedom, we are supposed to put ourselves wholly devoted to God. There's a song by 10th Avenue North that really sums up what I wanted to say tonight. It's called The Struggle. There's a wreckage. There's a fire. There's a weakness in my love. There's a hunger I can't control. Lord, I falter and I fall down. Then I hold on to the chains you broke when you came and saved my soul. Saved my soul. Hallelujah, we are free to struggle. We're not struggling to be free. Your blood brought, bought and makes us children. Children, drop your chains and sing. So why, Lord, do I still fail? Do I wear thin? Why do I still give in to temptation? On my own, I am bankrupt. I don't trust you or take you at your word, what you've promised. Hallelujah, death is overcome, and we are breathing. Hallelujah, our stone hearts become flesh that's beating. Hallelujah, chains have been undone, and we are singing. Hallelujah, the fire has begun. Can you feel it? We are free from sin by the blood of Christ. And now we've got the rest of our lives to serve God. So let's drop our chains and sing. Hi, everybody. Thank you. Hey, Jeff, you doing all right? Um, my name is Michael. Um, 
I'm sure I haven't met all of you yet. Um, I've been here a year now. It's been great. I'm married to the really pretty one in the maroon whose face is turning the same color as your scrubs right now. Um, we've been blessed to be here. Um, but So I, I was asked to speak to you as well. Uh, except my topic is going to be on dependence. Isn't that something we all want to hear about? How I mean, we, we get to live in a country where you get to be whatever you want to be. It's awesome, right? If I want to be a garbage man or a postal worker or a CEO or work at McDonald's, I have the freedom to do that. If I don't want to work at all, I have the freedom to do that. And now our, our world changes to where if you, if you want to be whoever you want to be, just say that's who you are, that, that's who you are. You have that freedom. Isn't that kind of scary? You've got the freedom to be whoever you want to be. And that's, that's where our society leads you. In college, um, I, I remember that's, that's what we were all driven to do. You know, you can do whatever you want to do in life, but it all depends on you. And I really bought into that. My parents, uh, they live back in Chattanooga. Um, my parents, they, they don't have a, a real fancy lifestyle. We're, we're pretty, we're pretty uh, down-to-earth folks. And my dad always grew up saying, you can make life what you want it to be. And, you know, I really believed that for a long time. And, and coming into marriage and coming into growing to be a, a Christian person, I think sometimes we take that way further than we should. That you can be whatever you want to be. Now that I got your attention. Eddie, do you care to put that slide up there for me? Everyone, meet my dog. This is Millie. Millie, this, this was the first day we got her. She looks nothing like this now. She is uh, 11 and a half weeks old now. Um, we bought her thinking that it would prepare us for adulthood. And I, I, you take from that what you will. But um, Millie is a golden Labrador. That's what I'm going to call her. Um, I thought she was a golden retriever. She's not. But Millie is the exact example of what dependability is, or at least in my world, for someone to be dependent on you completely. I don't have a child yet, and I won't until I'm 40. Isn't that right? She agrees. 40 years old is the age. No, she doesn't. That's a lie. Um, but this is the closest thing I have in my life of, of something being dependent on me. When Millie needs to eat, she looks for me. Or, Ashley. When she needs to drink, she needs one of us. When she needs to go outside to go to the bathroom, she needs one of us. I want you to put yourself in, in my dog's paws for a minute. Think about what it means for you to be completely dependent on somebody. At one point or another, we were completely dependent on our parents or our guardians, whoever took care of us. They, they taught us how to, how to take care of ourselves, and we needed them in that time. We legitimately depended on them to take care of us. And now some of us, the majority of us, we're, we try to take care of ourselves. So here's, here's what I want you to, to think of tonight. Here's the thought that I want you to take from, from whatever you hear. By the way, first, thank, thank you, Chief, for an excellent lesson. And Floyd, thank you for an excellent lesson. Those were great. Just thoughts on the independence of our country and the independence we can have from sin. And a side note, if I could look like Chief when I'm that old, I, I would be... Well, really, if I could look like Chief 
at my age now, I would be doing, <laughs> I'd be doing pretty good. But what, what I want you to think about tonight, as, as we think about our dependence on God, I want you to understand that, yes, you have the freedom to make your life into whatever you want it to be. But listen carefully. You're not good enough to do that job. You can be whatever you want to be in your life, but if you want to be the best that you can be, you are not good enough to do it by yourself. So if you want to turn with me real quick, just a few encouraging thoughts. We always, we've always been taught to, to lean on God and to, to find answer in Him and to, and to really just search for Him and, and have Him lead us in the way that we need to be led. Proverbs 3, verses 5 through 6. This is one of my favorite verses. Proverbs 3, 5, 3 verses 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understandings. In all your ways, submit to Him, and He will make path. He will make straight your path, or your path straight, is what this version says. I don't trust in the Lord with all my heart. I, I don't submit to Him in all my ways. But the thing is, is if I, if I did do that, if I, if I said, God, you know, I'm really not good enough to do this, so I'm going to let you do this, my path would be straight. My life would be so much better than whatever I could make it into. Keep that thought in mind. Turn over to Proverbs chapter 16, verse 9. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 9. That reads this, God understands so well that we are such control freaks as humans. It's even in the Bible that God gets it that even though, even though you like to be in control of everything, stop it. Proverbs 16 verse 9 says, In their hearts humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. How many of you all think that you have your life figured out? Anybody? Chief? I think she's probably the closest, if we're being honest. But I, I don't. I'm far from it. And God knows that, that I try to take control of every aspect of my life so I can make it what I want it to be because I want to be a self-made man that's been different from, from who I've seen in the past. But God understands that, that, that that's exactly the way that, that my... my train of thought goes, but God just looks right back at me and He says, you can think of that all you want, but I'm the one that's paving the path, not you. So, we already have this definition in mind of how do we, what does it look like to be, to be dependent on God? Well, we lean on Him and, and He makes straight our path. We, we trust in Him with all of our heart. We, we, we acknowledge that God paves the pathway for us. But I think too often we don't actually look back and we don't take into consideration, what do I got to do? What is it that I'm doing wrong? That's where I want to look at tonight. I don't think Caleb Bates is here tonight, but he brought up an excellent, excellent point. That... it. We don't acknowledge the gift that God has given us by giving us the Holy Spirit. We do not recognize the, the magnitude of that gift. 
Because too often, myself as the leader of this pack, we think we can do a better job than God can. That's not the truth. If you'll turn with me to Galatians chapter 5, we're going to read in verses 13 through 17. Today we've heard a lot about freedom. And Paul acknowledges that by saying, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do, do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit was contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The one of my favorite verses that I've had to really understand, or just try to captivate in my adult life where I'm not dependent on my parents anymore, I'm not dependent on rules of, of free hardiment or anything like that. Galatians 5, chapter 25. If, you wanna, this, if, you, if you're an underliner, this is one to underline. It says, Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Too often we, we take it upon ourselves to think that we are better at making the path for ourselves than God is. Too often we, we ignore the gifts that God has given us of being able to walk in the Spirit and lean on Him because we think we can pave a prettier path than God's golden path to heaven. You're not that good. I'm not that good. None of us can make a life better than what God can make for us. So the... What we have to understand is that this, this dependence, we have an independence to be free. But if we take advantage of that freedom to give into the flesh by doing what we want to do, I'm going to propose this to you. I think it's better off that we stay dependent. If we can't do this on our own, why should we ever give ourselves the confidence to say that we can? God gave us this incredible gift to walk with the Spirit. And not only that, but to walk in step with the Spirit. So that you're never one step in front, you're never one step behind. You're always right with the Spirit. We can live right in step with God. And we can make that choice to be right in step with God. But I'm going to propose to you just like I'm going to propose to myself. The first step in doing such a thing is stop thinking that you're good enough to do it by yourself. You're not. No one here is. If we were good enough, there would have been no point for Jesus to come to this earth. Thankfully, by the grace of God, Jesus came to this earth and He died for our sins so that we can have a redemption of heaven. And through that crucifixion and the blood that covers us, God's given us a gift to have the best possible life we can on this earth. What a gift that is. It's time that we stop relying on ourselves, and it's time that we live dependently, walking in step with the Spirit, 
so that God can utilize, so that we can utilize the gift that God's given us. It's free. It's the greatest gift we can ever have. So I want you to examine yourself. Do you walk with the Spirit? When you have decisions in your life, when you have wants, when you have needs, when you have struggles, do you depend on God or do you depend on yourself? I'm sure that picture of my dog is still up there. Millie doesn't depend on herself. Because whatever Millie wants to do leads to destruction. And it leads to me being not so happy. The same thing applies with your Heavenly Father. When you depend on yourself, it leads to destruction. But when you depend on your Heavenly Father to guide you to the right place, at the right time, to the right opportunities, on the right path, you will live the best possible life that you have on this earth. So as a a family of Christians, let's seize the opportunity. Let's go for it. And let's walk in step with the Spirit, being completely dependent on God, and stop trusting ourselves to take care of ourselves. If, you, if you're here tonight and you feel that, that you need prayers to be more dependent on God, or if you're here tonight and you haven't received the gift of the Holy Spirit to, to, to walk with God and to rely on God, and you need to come in contact with that through the waters of baptism, you've got an opportunity to do that. If, if you're discouraged and you need to be encouraged, you have that opportunity too. If there's anyone here that, that needs to be encouraged, I invite you to, to come and let us pray for you. If you feel that, that, that you're good enough to take on the challenge of, of directing your own path, when God the Father calls you and is with you at all times saying, come this way, and you're ready to say, I'm done, you have that opportunity. If there's anything that we can do for you, please come while we stand and sing. Well, we